everybody. Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. I'm Cole Fakes, and I'm joined by Terry Fakes this week to discuss another one of our formative books. Some of these books are going to be long uh, tomes that are probably better to get on a 30-minute podcast episode than to sit down and read. But our book this week is a short, very accessible book. I would almost encourage people that in the time that it takes to listen to this, you could get a third of the way through this book. But uh, it's worth maybe getting a little overview and what it means to us before you read it. But this is one I'd recommend for everybody to read. It's the book, The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. Yes, I. Uh, you read this before I did, but I've also read it. And the edition that you can buy now, the little paperback, has, by the way, a study guide at the end, chapter by chapter. It, this is made for small group discussion uh, guys groups, women groups, whatever. Uh, it, it is a very great, it's a really good resource, but I'll just give you my overall impression of reading it. Every time I've read this book, it makes me excited about pursuing holiness. It's well-written. It's to the point. Again, it's only a couple hundred pages, but it makes me excited about pursuing holiness. Mm-hmm. I feel that way about this book. It was a real turning point realization for me, which we'll talk about. But if we just step back and look at all of Jerry Bridges' work, Jerry Bridges lived from 1929 to 2016. He was a big figure in the Navigators, if you're Mm -hmm. familiar with that ministry at all. Uh, He wrote a lot of great books, traveled around the country teaching. He right, I think it was right after he died, actually, there was a little autobiography release called God Took Me by the Hand, which is another great read, very short. But just you look at his life and you say, wow, it's amazing what God did, um, which with what he would say was just very humble beginnings and somebody who was very unremarkable that God took him by the hand and just lived a wonderful life. But if you look at all of his books, they're very practical. They're very biblical. I, I would recommend this book first, The Blessing of Humility. I think it's the title of his book on the Beatitudes. It's mm-hmm. excellent. Uh, Respectable Sins is his most convicting book. It's about all the sins that are really sinful biblically, but are really acceptable socially. And that's a great book. The Practice of Godliness is the is the follow-up to The Pursuit of Holiness. And it's also a great book. But he's got tons of really good books. This one was very influential to me, especially when I read it. I can remember being a freshman in college sitting on my bed as a pledge in the fraternity house, reading this book, clear as day, I I can remember. And I had a note card in the book where I was taking notes and writing things down. And I'm sure at this point, I've given that book away, the one I originally read. I've Uh given many copies of this book away. I would love to get to see that copy of that book because I'd be interested to see what it was that really stood out to me. And I've probably read it two or three times since then. What kind of revolutionized my thinking in this book was I can remember arriving on campus and meeting with some college ministries. And I remember somebody, I don't remember who it was or what campus ministry it was, but I remember somebody from one of these ministries asking me, you know, how are you growing? How are you planning to grow? You know, how are you Mm -hmm. becoming more holy? And I didn't really have an answer. In fact, I hadn't really even thought about it before. And Mm -hmm. They said, well, you need to read this book, The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. So I got a copy of it and started reading it. And what I realized was at that point, and I don't know how I had missed this, but at that point, I didn't realize 
that you actually have to work to become holier. It's not just going to happen to you. You don't just kind of become a Christian and then put things on autopilot. And before you know it, you're just a, a more wonderful person bearing the fruits of the spirit. Holiness takes pursuit. That's the brilliance of this title is you have to commit yourself to pursuing holiness, to growing, to putting together a plan, diligently working towards holiness in your life. And it was a discovery for me that may have come later, or maybe I should have known that, but I didn't know that. And I certainly wasn't doing anything about it. And so reading this book, what it opened my eyes to was that in every season of life, it's going to look a little bit different, but in every season of life, you should have a plan and you should be working towards holiness in certain areas of your life. And once you start working towards it, pursuing it is when you're going to see the fruit of holiness pop up in your life. If you are not doing that, if you don't have, if you don't have a plan, you're not putting forth any effort, you're not putting any thought into it, don't be surprised that you're not seeing yourself grow in your Christian life. Exactly. In the first chapter, you know, he he raises a point that I thought was really well done. He said, one of the why do people not pursue holiness? And one of the reasons, and he's not condemning in this, he's just pointing out observations, is we know that we are supposed to live by faith. But somewhere we got the idea that living by faith meant that we didn't expend any effort. And I, I can understand that because we certainly don't agree that we will become holy on our own efforts, nor does Jerry Bridges, nor do we think we'll be saved. We won't be saved and we won't be sanctified uh, by our own efforts. And so the idea of living by faith has caused us to shy away from effort. And you know, as our good friend Cliff Sanders says, is that grace and effort are not opposed to one another. Mm -hmm. Grace and salvation by works are certainly opposed. But you raise a good point, and he points that out, is that holiness has to be pursued. Mm -hmm. And you know, the second thing he says in the, I believe it's the third chapter, but this also kind of hit me is that holiness is not optional mm -hmm. for the Christian, that we are called to holiness. And he said, he had an interesting phrase, Cole. He said, you cannot just receive half of God's grace, meaning to put it in theological terms, grace for justification, but you can reject the grace for sanctification. In other words, you can receive God's grace as Savior, but you can't reject the other half of God's grace, which is going to work in us through the Holy Spirit to make us holy. And I thought that was a very interesting little turn of phrase. You can't just receive half of God's grace. Yeah, that's really good. He's, his books are full of those little catchy, memorable phrases. He opens the book with an illustration that I think brings that point to bear. He says, you know, a farmer cannot actually make a seed grow, mm -hmm. cannot control it, can't control how much rain there's going to be, can't control the growth of the seed. But what he can control is if the soil is right, if it's plowed, if the seed is planted, if it's fertilized correctly, if with the wa water he has, he puts it on the right schedule. So he can do he can do everything he can to make the conditions right. And then God makes the seed grow. But most people live their Christian life kind of like hey, I can't make the seed grow, so I might as well not even plant any seeds or plow the field. Right. Or right. To, put, to, to go back to Cliff Sanders, he describes the means of grace as being in a boat. You can't control the wind, but you can raise the sails. Right. And that's exactly what the pursuit of holiness is. You actually need the power of the Holy Spirit 
spirit to transform your life, but you can certainly raise the sales. And uh, it's not pursuing holiness is like saying, well, I can't control the wind, so I'm not going to do anything. And Jerry Bridges is coming back at us saying, well, you can at least raise the sales. So let's let's talk about what it's like to get those sales up and be ready when the wind does blow. He, he starts with a very basic point that you mentioned. It's holiness is required there. It would be an oxymoron, biblically speaking, to say a Christian who never gets more holy Christian that's not growing in their faith. Uh, growth towards holiness is part of is part of being a Christian. And I went back and just looked at a few verses that uh, talk about this. Holiness is not just for super Christians or really churchy right. people. It's for every person. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Everybody gets hung up on the predestination part of this, which is important. But if you look at it, whatever the predestination means— which we could argue about, right? It's toward a very specific end, right? Being conformed to the image of His Son, which would be holiness. So, right, He has predestined all the those who would be saved, not just to salvation, but to holiness. That's part and parcel of what it means to be saved. Secondly, in First Thessalonians four three, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay, so right. of all the things you wonder, is this God's will for me? Is this not? Here's one thing you can be certain of. His will is for you to be holy, for you to grow in holiness. First Peter 1, 15 through 16. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I mean, this is all through Scripture. The one that right. Jerry Bridges keys in on in the early chapters of the book is Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You're not going to see God without holiness. So God is going to accomplish this holiness in your life. So start raising the sales. And I, I love to quote from Bridges on page 42. He talks about this tension, and this is really the foundational aspect of what he's driving towards in the middle section of the book, which is on the kind of how to be holy. He says, mm -hmm. so we see that God has made provision for our holiness. Through Christ, he has delivered us from sin's reign so that we can now resist sin. But the responsibility for resisting is ours. God does not do that for us. To confuse the potential for resisting, which God provided, with the responsibility for resisting, which is ours, is to court disaster in our pursuit of holiness. I thought that put it just so well. Yes, mm -hmm. the ability to resist sin, that is something that God has done. But the willpower, the responsibility for resisting, the actual resistance, that's on us. We should be doing that. Now, God gives us strength to do that. We can go round and round and circles. But I thought this was a very good, simple way to explain that God is working and we are working in our holiness. I did too. You know, one of the key ideas, and I think this is the crux of chapter eight in that first section, the idea of obedience and victory, and I never really thought about it this way, is his point is this, that we, God wants us to live in obedience, not in victory. But before we jump too far ahead, his point is victory will come as a result. But if you pursue victory over sin, he said, that's really about us. That's about me versus sin. I'm going to go win the battle. If we pursue obedience to God, that's between God and us, and God will bring the victory. And I, that's a sounds like a bit of a nuance, but I would think psychologically for me, that's a big deal to realize I'm not 
actually fighting sin. I guess I am in a way, but I'm doing it by simply being obedient to God. And in that chapter, he says this. He says, we need to brace ourselves and realize we are responsible for our thoughts and attitudes and actions. Now, we're not alone. You know, we can do all things through him who gives us strength. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that, but he raises a good point. It's actually, I am responsible for my thoughts, feelings, and actions. That's my effort. And victory is assured because of God's spirit. But Mm. I am responsible to being obedient. And I just thought that was a key point that really hit me, that I can't get escape the responsibility. If I said I've surrendered my life to you, then following Christ, walking after Christ, being obedient is something that I have committed to do. And that was mm-hmm. just a stark reminder. He has a great way of hitting you right between the eyes without being rude about it. Right. Now, one of the things I love about him is he really can convict you in a way that you want to respond to the conviction as right. opposed to hitting you in a way that you feel burdened by it or uh, discouraged or attacked. He makes you see that you really can do this and you really should do this. So let's get after it together. The, the middle section of the book is so good about that. It just basically lays out how should you go about working to pursue holiness very practically. Mm-hmm. No more kind of theoretical talk. Just here's how you hit the ground running to be holy. One of the things that stuck out to me in the first part of that is you will experience a daily battle with sin. And this also sounds like something you wouldn't necessarily have to say, but Sometimes we feel like that recurring temptation, the struggle with things that we've struggled with for a long time, things that we thought we were over and past that come back, that this must mean that there's something wrong spiritually. And I love his reassurance that the daily battle with sin does not mean that something is wrong. In fact, a lot of times it means that something is right. The fact that you're realizing what sin is, you're convicted you are examining your motives and your actions and your thoughts, that's usually a sign that the Holy Spirit is active in your life. So in fact, you might take that as a sign of a positive trend in your life, as opposed to the way that sometimes we interpret it as a negative trend in our lives. You know, I agree with that. That's an obvious, it's an obvious truth that I don't think we always realize. But, you know, if you're fighting in a battle and you're a prisoner of war, you're not fighting. And before I came to Christ, I was a prisoner of war. I mean, I was mm-hmm. sitting in Satan's POW camp, if you will. And, but now that I've escaped the POW camp and I'm following Christ, I should expect there to be a battle. And he's really upfront about that, that it is part of it. And, you know, he makes this interesting insight. He says, for whatever reasons, God has seen fit to allow this struggle with indwelling sin. In other words, this pursuit of holiness serves God's purpose in a way that I do not think we will understand until the end of that process. I thought Mm -hmm. that was interesting. So I I like it that you said to encourage people that if you feel like you're struggling with sin, that's a good sign. It's when you're not struggling with sin that it's probably a very bad sign. Right. Right. And to go back to your analogy of the battle, which I just love, uh, after you've escaped from the POW camp, you don't just run into the battle with your bare hands. You need tools. You need weapons. You need the ability to fight. And Bridges is so good about pointing out the things that we've been given by God to fight this battle. 
one of the big things is conviction, which we talked about. That's just the knowledge of what's going on. What team are you on? Who are the enemies? And then secondly, and you might guess this with Bridges Navigator's background, Bible memorization. He, right. he spends a couple of chapters talking about the power of memorizing scripture, utilizing it to fight temptation, utilizing it when you need it for encouragement. Of course, the, the, the navigators are world renowned for their Bible memorization, especially through the topical memory system, which is right. about maybe 60 verses on mm-hmm. almost any topic you can think about so that you've got one or two verses in your mind for anything that comes at you, you're ready. And whether you use that kind of system or some other kind of system, or whether you decide just to do longer passages of the Bible altogether, having a well-stocked mind with Scripture is one of the best tools, one of the best weapons to fight against temptation. It's what Jesus used when he was tempted. You think back to the scene where Jesus is brought out to the wilderness. Jesus had a lot of weapons at his disposal, but what, which one did he choose for the fight against the temptation of Satan? He quotes from the Bible, and he doesn't even right. quote the glamorous parts. He quotes from the right. book of Deuteronomy. And so that was the weapon of choice for Jesus. It would be hard to say that we could improve on that by picking something else. And so memorization is a, a great place to start. If you're struggling with holiness, you really need to start stocking your mind with Scripture so that you'll have those uh, verses, those fighter verses, the way that John Piper talks about these at your disposal. Yes, he mentions Romans 12, 1 and 2 many times. And while this battle is not just a battle of the mind, it's not less than a battle of the mind. And he talks about being renewed, you know, uh, by the renewal of your mind, being transformed by the renewal of your mind. And he's not saying it's only by the renewal of your mind, but I've never found anybody who's had much luck pursuing holiness who isn't reading their Bible and who isn't. Uh, in one way or another, whether you just read it over and over and over and the verses just get stuck in your mind or you make a concerted effort to do so. I don't think that's sufficient, but I think it's necessary. It's a precursor to this. I think that he groups that under what he calls holiness of spirit. And that is equipping your mind, like you said, with the tools that you will need to speak back to sin. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really important idea. You know, he also has uh, a chapter on holiness in body and the choices that you make and uh, how do you curb your de- natural desires, your natural, I hate to use the word lust. That's true. But for most of us, it may not rise to the level of just huge lusts and awful, awful sins, so to speak. But it may result in that lack of discipline, that lack of uh, as Paul says, he says, I buffet my body, I control my body, I train my body so that I won't be hindered. And I thought that was very instructive that not only do we are we called to holiness in spirit, but also holiness in our bodies and that what mm-hmm. we do with our bodies affects our spirit as well. I thought that was really well, well said on his part. Yeah, that's that's a great point that you will probably not go further spiritually than you go physically because your disciplines are linked together. It's not to say you right. got to be a world-class athlete to be a faithful Christian person, but but just to say that if you have if you think you're going to have discipline in one area and you don't have it anywhere else, chances are you're mistaken. It they go together. That's why especially in discipleship, there are a lot of times when somebody doesn't simply doesn't have the willpower, the ability to say no. 
at the level they need to for sin. And so you can actually increase your spiritual willpower by doing things like getting up and making your bed. These are not just purely self-improvement things. If they're used toward the end of building your self-discipline everywhere, they really can bear spiritual fruit. And I was, I'm looking at the table of contents in Jerry Bridges' Respectable Sins. And this is where things really get, where you put this principle into practice is for the things that you don't necessarily think about as sin, they're the ones that really take discipline because you're essentially saying, nobody is going to get after me for this sin. These aren't the biggies. These right. aren't the ones that right. you know everybody knows. These are the ones that God says they're wrong. I may even get rewarded for these at work, but right. because of that, I've got to put them to death in my life. So um, discontentment, unthankfulness, pride, lack of self-control, irritability, judgmentalism, worldliness. They, you know, these are things that like, man, that that's, you know, those aren't the big sins. If I can just keep from, you know, breaking the Ten Commandments and a lot of the other big right. commandments in the New Testament, that that's good enough for me. But he's saying, no, the discipline to look at your life honestly and say, these are the things that God says is not okay. They need to be eliminated from my life. That takes a lot of spiritual willpower. And it, it requires a change for us in how we evaluate our lives. We're going to evaluate it biblically the way God sees it, or we're going to evaluate right. with what, what gets us by and maybe makes us more upwardly mobile in our life and our social circles. Yes, he has a chapter uh, in the pursuit of holiness on the habits of holiness. And I appreciated this in the small things because he quotes Romans 6, 19. And that's the section where Paul says, don't offer your members as instruments of unrighteousness. But he doesn't stop there. He says, instead, offer them as instruments of righteousness. And this is 2000 years ago, talking about something that people are selling books about today, you know, atomic habits and things like that is, you don't just say no to old habits, you start doing new things. And mm -hmm. that is exactly right, is develop new habits. Instead of just saying no to those things, develop the positive habits. You replace them with a new offering to God. Because he's absolutely right. The more we indulge the little sins, the more sin gets traction in our lives. And so rooting out even the little sins in our lives is important. And we root them out by developing new habits. In other words, mm -hmm. let's pursue righteousness at the same time as we're avoiding sin. One more thing I'll say on this section that I thought was helpful is the emphasis that he puts on planning to, to remove those sins. Right. So he talks about if you've ever trained for a race, a half marathon or a marathon or 5K or something, uh, you, you typically have a plan. And that plan is going to require that you think about it before the moment it dawns on you. you. You never train for a half marathon by saying, you know, I'm not going to do anything. But then all of a sudden, oh, I, I need to go run. And so you just race out of the house. It's right. it's a it's it's a routine that you get into and you have to make choices to set yourself up well to follow this routine. And so he says, you know, if I if I want to jog each morning, I need to know what time do I have to be at work? How long does it take me to get ready? How right. long do I need to run? How long does it take me to get out on the road? And then I pick what time I'm going to wake up based on what I need to get done. Whereas most people's holiness is exactly the reverse. What what all what all do I have to have done, and do I have any time left over? Uh, if that most a lot of people don't even right. think about it. Like I, like I said, until I read this book, I had not even thought about planning 
But instead, he says, in the same way that you would choose to go to bed early when you need to do something early the next morning, you need to develop ways that you set yourself up for holiness and the pursuit of holiness. And I think about this a lot with our hobbies and jobs and all of that. We spend a lot of time and ingenuity and creative energy thinking of Mm -hmm. ways to do things that in the end are not as important as our relationship with God. But when it comes to our relationship with God, all of a sudden we have zero creative energy. You know, we can figure out new ways to sin all day, every day in our society. But how much ingenuity are we putting towards our own pursuit of holiness? You know, how, how many ways have we rearranged something or invested in something or talked with somebody or had a great idea about ways to be more holy. And Jerry Bridges just kind of frankly says, you should be doing that. You should be thinking of ways to make your life easier in the sense that it will lead to more holiness, as opposed to Mm -hmm. making your life easier for more pleasure or sin or whatever else, even relatively good things. Uh, We should spend exact, you know, the exact same or more energy in becoming holy. So that means setting goals and objectives, which may seem a little mechanical for people, but if if you don't, it's not going to happen. So if you have a goal to put to death a certain sin in your life, you can think of some accountability for it. You can think of ways to keep yourself out of temptation. You can think of ways of signaling success, you know, in a month or two weeks or three months. You should be putting those down and you should be sharing it with somebody and treat it like any other project or improvement that you would do in your life mm-hmm. or in your home or anywhere else for that matter. Yeah, he's he really is convicting without being heavy handed about it, that we plan for a lot of things in our lives and then we act as though holiness will happen by itself. You know, I remember when I was training for a marathon, you know, if I had a long run the next morning, I would make a point of going to bed early. I'd make sure I was hydrated. I'd drink more water. I wouldn't eat a large meal. I just did some basic planning because what I was going to do in the morning was important. And he's really not saying anything other than that. And that is, well, if I think it's important for my holiness to have 30 minutes where I read the Bible and spend 10 minutes in prayer every morning, then I just need to budget to make that happen Mm -hmm. and plan ahead. He's not talking about changing every aspect of your life, but it is convicting that I might plan a meal more than I would plan my holiness. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. The last section is something that's easily forgotten, but I'm so glad he includes it in this book. It's the joy of holiness. And sometimes we think, in fact, one of the big deterrents against holiness is well, it won't be very much fun. It's just going to be all right. self-denial and no joy. But he points out, biblically speaking, the joy uh, that we experience at the deepest level is when we are walking in God's plans for us, when we are obeying God's plans. And God has designed us in such a way that the greatest joy comes from being holy, being united with him. And we talked about this actually in our first conversation about uh, the expulsive mm-hmm. power of a new affection. We replace right. our old desires with new, better desires. So at the end of the book, he says, the joy of a holy walk is infinitely more satisfying than the fleeting pleasures of sin. That's something you can only know once you experience it. Doesn't It almost seems right. too good to be true until you experience it. And that doesn't mean that sin will immediately lose its appeal, but it does mean that in the long run, especially as you look back, you realize that the joy of obedience, the joy of holiness, the joy of putting your sin to death is far greater than the small temporary 
pleasure that sin might give you. You know, that's so true and so obvious in our lives. I mean, I, probably everybody's experienced this is, you know, if you just don't eat very well for a few months, you know, a lot of Big Macs and fries and things like that, you you just don't really feel 100%. You just don't feel great. You don't have as much energy. And the next thing you know, you start eating just a little better. I'm not talking about crazy. I'm just saying, well, let's cut out some of the carbs and let's cut out some of the sugar. And the next thing you know, you actually feel better. Well, at first, that's hard. Like, well, I'm not indulging my craving. But pretty quickly, you realize, wow, I feel a lot better when I stop indulging the craving. And I think that's a little bit analogous to the idea of start to follow God. And actually, in a much deeper sense than that, you begin to realize there's a joy. You know, he, he pointed out one aspect of joy that really hit me. He said that the simple fact of knowing that I'm obeying God rather than resisting God is a source of joy. There's, It's kind of like a harmony, if you will, like I'm pursuing God. He's not, he's not upset with me. He's, he's not uh, mad that I haven't gotten there yet, but I just feel good that I'm going the right direction, that I'm obeying God. That really resonates. I don't know if that will resonate with everyone, but for me, there was that sense of relational harmony brings a deep-seated joy. Yeah. I certainly know I've experienced the opposite of that when I was aware on a daily basis that I was not pursuing God and his purposes in the world, and there was an underlying anxiety or darkness about my life. So I thought that's I, that really hit me, the idea of just the joy of knowing that you are obeying, not resisting God. Mm -hmm. It brings me back to one of my favorite passages that I think is very underrated. In fact, if you're looking for a great memory verse, this is a good place to start. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him also we have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the mm -hmm. glory of God. So there's a reunited relationship we have peace with God. We've been justified. Our sin has been taken care of. But now we have the relationship with God intact again. And we rejoice. We have continuous joy in the hope of the glory of God that we will share, which is his holiness. His holiness and his glory are linked. And so we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God being uh, in us. So it reminds me again of what Paul says in Colossians. The mystery that's revealed is uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Being glorified is our hope. It is our joy as Christians. And so the more we walk in that, the more joy we'll have. And we'll have infinite joy in eternity uh, because of that. So all of this to say there's difficult work to do in being holy. But holiness is not some theoretical, all self-denial uh, kind of asceticism. But it does take work. And that's kind of the whole point of the book is Yes, there's joy waiting. Yes, it is something that we should desire. Yes, it is something that the Spirit is bringing about. But it also requires that we get very practical and very serious about being holy and making changes in our lives. And that, to me, is the big takeaway of this great book. I think so, too. And, you know, it, it makes sense to me because I think there's a big difference between, quote, being a Christian, quote, and following Christ. And, and the difference to me is this is that following Christ is not a static endeavor. In other words, it's a movement. 
following, the very phrase following Jesus Christ means moving. And that's really all he's saying is that movement is called holiness. That movement toward obedience, that movement toward Christ is holiness. It's something that we should expect. It's not an elective in the Christian life. It's in the core mm. curriculum of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.